You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I have not one, but two very special guests today. First, I have Christopher Yuan. I've had him on before and you know his books, Out of a Far Country, which is required reading, and also Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, which is amazing. I highly recommend both of these books. And back by popular demand is Rosaria Butterfield, who is the author of... uh, the Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, which is amazing, and I read years ago, and open, Openness Unhindered, and The Gospel Comes with a House Key, which we discussed on, that, on our episode a couple weeks ago. So welcome, Rosaria and Christopher. Hello. Good Thank to be back you. on. So today we're going to discuss kind of all things LGBTQ ish. Uh, and we, I want to start because um, Rosaria on, on our episode a couple, few weeks ago, we kind of briefly touched on side A and side B Christianity. And I got a lot of questions from people asking, what does that mean? What is side A? Because I mean, even I, I didn't even really fully understand what side B meant, which is, which was a big problem. Um, so let's start off, uh, Christopher and Rosario, if you don't mind, if let's start off kind of defining these terms and kind of get into the, the faulty theology of both of them, but really side B. So let's, let's start with that. Rosario, why don't you start? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if this is going to be helpful or not, but when Christopher, when you know that when I first started speaking, maybe, I don't know, you know, 2013, maybe, um, these were just new ideas. And they were not automatically things that, I mean, there were things that I felt really uncomfortable with, uh, you know, gay Christianity, I, you know, I didn't, I, you know, what, what a strange adjectival modifier it didn't make sense to me. But it wasn't until fairly recently that they started to really form into a clear sense of false teaching. So I wouldn't like I don't want you to think back at that. You know, I first heard the term and I was like, oh, got to have a V8. These are the eight things that are wrong with it. <laughs> not even close, not even close. But basically, um, side A gay Christianity is considered gay affirming Christianity. It basically reads a different Bible than I do. So it's, it as you, that- it's a different religion. It, oh, well, they both are different religions, but yes. side A is a different religion because it reads a different Bible. It, it, it reads the Bible differently. And it by reading the Bible differently, it comes away with a completely false, bereft understanding of Scripture. But and of God, of the holiness of God, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And all of it. Right. And all the things. But it's very consistent. You know, the. Um, the uh, you know it be, it works out its bad theology consistently. Christopher, please jump in here at any minute because I always depend upon you to do that. Side B Christianity 
So side A, Christianity falsifies scripture. Side B, Christianity falsifies soteriology. It, it has a bereft understanding of sin and redemption and grace and holiness. And it's a little sneakier of a go. Um, and so that's why I think it's definitely one that needs to be dealt with very thoroughly and carefully, especially for young people who themselves are struggling with same-sex attraction, parents who have no idea what language their children are speaking when they come back from college. But what is consistent about both side A and side B is they both use a Freudian and not a biblical anthropology. They use a Freudian understanding of personhood. The, the idea that sexual orientation defines you and explains who you are is a late 19th century, highly atheistic understanding of personhood. And the idea that sexuality is an expression of your um, your authentic desires um, has a great deal of evolutionary, uh, you know, underpinnings to it as well. And so both of those are an attack or in violation of the creation ordinance, which is where you do find our biblical definition of personhood. And one of the things that you learn if you look at Genesis 1, 27, 28, is that you are made in the image of God. And that is why um, only a biblical understanding of personhood truly can accrue the dignity that every single human being on the planet craves. Dignity. Yeah. And who, who, Christopher, who coined these terms? I mean, in 2013 or Rosario, who coined? Yeah. I I mean, I'll, I'll just give a, um, kind of some historical um, explanation. Uh, since both of you guys, um, you know, came to faith uh, probably after the Exodus and all of that kind of imploded. I mean, Beckett, you were more recent. Rosaria, um, I think maybe was a little bit insulated there. Uh, my parents, you know, when I came out in... 1993, there was nothing out there. No churches were, they didn't know how to handle this. Um, so they did have this ministry called Exodus. And my, my parents found, um, uh, were, were encouraged by some of those conferences. And so they did attend some of those conferences. So I was aware of that. Um, so side A, side B, what, what in essence that is, it's a reaction to the whole kind of Exodus movement, which was um, if an individual has same-sex attractions or has come to Christ and has left the gay community, where do they go? They go to these ministries that are under the umbrella of Exodus International. As you know, there's many still that are still open around the country, and um, and so much of it is let's see how we can change. Uh, your same-sex attractions and not only lessen it, but actually divert it and make them kind of mature because of developmental issues in your past. And, and in, in, in essence, have, or what they call develop a heterosexual potential based on a lot of Nicolosi's teaching, et cetera, right. which is kind of rooted in um, Elizabeth Moberly and, and stuff like that. But so people then try, tried that and they didn't 
you know, they didn't like it. And so they either then said, no, God blesses same-sex relationships or some people like, you know what? I can't change. This is who I am. And uh, I just have to be celibate. So what they did was a reaction to Exodus and they formed kind of this little group. Uh, Justin Lee kind of formed this group called the Gay Christian Network, which is now the QCN, I think. Um, but anyway, so that kind of, you know, grew and there was this utopian uh, belief that side A and side B. So, so this is where that, that term came up with was kind of Justin Lee and this guy named Ron Belgao, who's, um, who, who was one was, um, God bless the same sex relationships. And that's called side a gay Christian. Yeah. And so Justin, others- Lee, Justin Lee would say that God blesses. Yes, he's gay. He believes that, that God is gay affirming basically. Yes. <clears throat> yes. And, and like, like Rosaria says, uh, they, they, they will argue they have a high view of scripture, but looking at their hermeneutics, um, you know, show me your hermeneutics and I'll show you your view of scripture. You know, so uh, they, they make statements like, um, you know, we don't follow Leviticus anymore because Jesus fulfilled Leviticus. It's like, mm, nope, <laughs> that, that, that's a very misunderstanding of, um, of law and gospel. Uh, so it is a distortion of scripture. But then you have others that say, no, I, I think that um, same-sex marriage is not okay, but I'm, I'm gay. This is just the way I am. I can never change. And so I can't, and I, since I can't get married uh, to another, to someone of the opposite, I just have to be celibate. Um, and so oftentimes, you know, the, the argument is, is that side B holds, they will say, we hold the traditional view of sexuality. I kind of argue and say, actually, that's not true. They, they, they only say that that the sex is wrong and the marriage is wrong, but not everything else. And we'll get into more of those details, but that's where kind of that birthed out of it. It was his first initial utopian view that both side A and side B can coexist kind of together. They held these conferences. They, but after a while, the side B people like, I can't continue. I mean, I mean, fortunately, of course, I mean, <laughs> I can't continue to be in this community of tight knit, you know, people where half of them actually it was more 60 or 70% of them were pursuing a gay life partner. And then me to say, no, I can't. And so therefore, you know, it's not healthy. So what happened is this, the side B gay Christians formed their own group and they called it spiritual friendship based on a 10th, 11th century Cistercian um, Roman Catholic monk and mystical and all that with his theology. But we can get into that more as well, who was kind of John Boswell called him, you know, a a gay, which there's no evidence of that, by the way, there's actually a lot of historians are countering that, that he was gay. Uh, I mean, when I say gay, I mean that he was saying such attractive monk. Um, So anyways, formed this group, Spiritual Friendship, and like Rosario said, so in 2013, 2014, that spiritual friendship was initially just an online group where people would come together and, I don't know, you know, have kind of that online community in a sense. Well, after a few years, they were like, we need to have a conference. Unfortunately, I think taking continue the Exodus model, which is like, you know, we need to do things outside the church, which which. I think is one of the other big problems of both views is that they do, they, they're finding their, their source of, or they're trying to find their source of sanctification and grace and, and the means of grace, not through the body of Christ, but mm-hmm. through these parachurch organizations. 
So uh, then they're like, we need to have a conference. But that conference came out and it was called Revoice, which was you have some of these teachings of spiritual friendship were sort of bubbling. And I think, you know, Wes Hill, Ron Belga were kind of moderating that. And then Revoice came out, Nate Collins, a a friend of mine who graduated from Moody Bible Institute. um, And it, it kind of was amplified uh, of, of what was already kind of viewed in spiritual friendship. So where you would have things that were workshops talking about queer and um, you know, these ideologies and frameworks that were kind of a little bit seen in the spiritual friendship blogs and stuff, but it was taken to the um, uh, kind of much more amplified. And so there, that's where the church um, Bible-believing evangelical churches began to kind of address this. And that's when it, and I think that was in 2017, where uh, it more came to the forefront and these teachings um, kind of came to the, so I think that's that's what we're addressing now. So side B, gay Christianity, um, are people who would say, I am gay. Um, I, I can't change. I've tried that. Uh, this is the way I am. And I just have to be celibate so they so side b and and rosario you can you can help out on this so side b would essentially they essentially use that mod of that adjectival modifier modifier so they call themselves gay christians right which is very confusing i've always thought i you know in my book i talk about that too but it's so confusing to use that terminology of like if i'm a gay christian and then so it just not only is it unhealthy and bad theology but it also it it sends weird signals to (laughs) the world because they don't know what you're they think you're you're you know the side b they think you know oh they think you're affirming homosexual behavior so i always thought that was just a weird way to identify and when and if we could also clarify i i would say i myself rosaria and, and and you we don't identify as as either of those yeah um, i never i never liked labels um growing up so <laughs> i was like let's get rid of these labels uh, yeah there's no need for it but yeah anyway, i mean just, I, just to add that before rosario go ahead rosario yeah well I, what i would say is we're going to use biblical labels mm-hmm. because we're people of the word and we actually believe that the word of god knows us better than we know ourselves and because and that, better than freud knows us by the way well yeah absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. Um, No, absolutely. But I think I think that what is um, what is very helpful right now, and I think we just want to maybe focus on that is that, you know, the cards are on the table. Um, So the um, you know, what what um, Christopher was talking about, you know, amplifying what was being amplified through revoice and other things was some serious false teaching that is undergirding. Uh, side B Christianity and revoice such that it is potentially uh, dividing the PCA right now. Not a small thing. Presbyterian about false teaching. One of the ways that you can tell false teaching is it leaves a path of wreckage in its wake Mm -hmm. and, and false teachers don't, you know, it's not like you can say, well, boy, but some of those revoice leaders, they had the most amazing theory of the sacraments. No, they don't write about anything else. That's what they, you know, it is all about this particular political agenda. But, you know, one of the big issues 
And I think, Christopher, maybe I can speak for you. Maybe not. You can give me the no, don't speak for me. But I'm a confessional reformed uh, uh, Christian. That's how I, my, 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 um, my theology and my systematic theology, the, the, the filters I use to interpret ideas that are coming at me are through things like the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, and that's because these folks are a lot smarter than I am. Um, it's a very helpful systematic theology. So, for example, you might say, what's wrong with being a celibate gay Christian? I mean, don't you want to celebrate that people are being chased? Well, that's a that's a good question, except for that. If you read the larger catechism, um, it explains how um, enforced celibacy among a group of thinkers is actually a violation of the seventh commandments. It binds the conscience. And you really, you know, I mean, and Christopher and I will tell you that back when, well, I, Christopher's still traveling, but back, you know, when I used to travel before I really got focused on some homeschooling and home matters here, um, you know, we were constantly confronted with people who were trying to leave uh, side B Christianity, but their conscience had been bound and that's not acceptable. And here's what I mean. Are you, you're looking confused. Yeah, no, because right? I'm, I'm just want to ask about, you know, because yeah. I think people will be confused watching this. Oh, sorry, my, the books just fell. I think people will be confused watching this um, when you say that chase oh. or, or, or celibacy is is bad or, or, yeah, or no, right. you didn't say that, but just clarify. Well, can you clarify that? I will. In fact, I'll read it. I'll read, I'll read the seventh, uh, the larger catechism and that'll explain it. There's a difference between chastity and celibacy. There's a difference between being sexually pure and have sharing a movement of celibacy saying we are all going to be celibate together. Um, that, that is, a you know, so, so, you know, again, I know, I know we have Catholic listeners who, would absolutely disagree with what I'm going to read right now, but this is the filter. One of the filters that I was able to use to say, there's something wrong with a group that binds the conscience like this. And it, it, it's an overreaction to this, um, you know, to, to a number of things, but you mm-hmm. know, what are the sins forbidden in the seventh commandment? Um, adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lusts. All unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections, all corrupt or filthy communications, or listening thereunto, wanton looks, impudent or light behavior, immodest apparel, prohibiting of lawful and dispensing with unlawful marriages, allowing, tolerating, keeping of brothels, or resorting to them, entangling vows of single life. And, you know, when you say, when you sign on to be a celibate gay Christian from here on until I die, you are taking a false vow. Because although this may be a a strange thing to think about, um, God changes people all the time. And Christians shouldn't be terribly shocked by that. And, you know, the, 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 the requirement of biblical marriage is that you are a Christian man marrying a Christian woman. And there are any number of affections and, um, and, um, and love and commitment and desire that you learn in marriage. You know, it's very Freudian to say, you know, we got to work it out beforehand. Yeah. Um, 
So I know this may sound very strange, but I mean, I, I am blessed to have been married to a, a wonderful, uh, godly man for over 20 years. And there is no question that the Lord used that to change and heal me. But there's also no question that that particular application of my sanctification came downstream from justification. You know, sanctification doesn't sort of spin alone. And so I just raised that because untangling vows of a single life are one of the things forbidden in the seventh commandment. If you read the Westminster Confessions, I found that to be very, very helpful. I know it's kind of like, oh, you know, where am I? But there's a plenty of proof text that could keep us on this on this podcast for longer than two hours. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, so. I, I think it's good to um, because some of the confusion today on, on celibacy is they're equating. Uh, I think celibacy sometimes is used as synonymous with chastity. Um, but when we're talking specifically on issues of sexuality and particularly uh, issues of side B and spiritual friendship, um, celibacy is not used as just being chaste. The, the definition of celibacy that spiritual, uh, that spiritual friendship uses and side B uses is a lifelong vow. They call it a vocation from the Latin word vocatio or calling. Um, a lifelong vow of singleness, of chaste singleness. So it's, it's, it's not just chaste singleness, which is, of course, what I would, uh, my book talked about, holy sexuality, chastity and singleness, faithfulness in marriage. And I was very intentional about not using the word celibacy because of that. Celibacy, um, when we're talking about, and, and, and the issue a lot with spiritual friendship as well, um, they, they rely a lot on church history, which I think we need to read church history, uh, but church history always has to come under the authority of God. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things in the past 2,100 years of church history that we must read, but there's a lot of things in church history that we got wrong, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the medieval uh, period uh, before the Reformation. And so there's a lot of things that I, I think it's, it's good for us to read, good to read from monks. But with the filter, the lens of the critical lens of scripture and not just take things. Oh, because it's it's in church history. They've been doing it for a long time. The Roman Catholics have been doing it a long time where they take this vow of of chastity, uh, of celibacy. I'm sorry. Right. Celibacy. um, I want to do whatever scripture says. And if scripture does not say it, um, I'm not going to, you know, it's that's not going to be I'm I'm not going to do it. So I, I did a study of celibacy in the word. Um, the word celibacy is not actually found anywhere in scripture, which that, that's not enough of an excuse. Trinity is not in, in right. the Bible. That doesn't mean the concept. So I was like, okay, what about the concept? The concept of a lifelong vocation or a calling, a, uh, like a volitional calling of individuals to say, I'm going to be lifelong celibate for the rest of my life. I looked. Um, many times people go to first Corinthians seven. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yes. So, um, I did a a lot of reading on, on first Corinthians seven. I'm, I'm not an expert. It's, it's not an easy passage to go through there. There is a lot of a debate. What's first Corinthians seven one is that, 
Paul's voice is he quoting someone all, you know, I, I can go into the details, you know, uh, maybe another one on my opinions on that. But I, I think the important thing is this is middle section that talks about what were you when you were called? And then kind of Paul goes through there. Were you a slave? Were you free? Were you, uh, you know, all these betrothed? Were you, were you married? Were you married? Single? Exactly. Well, people then think then, oh, that's what it's talking about. You know, the, the, this is the vocation. But read, what were you called when you were, etc. What Paul is talking about there, this calling is the call of salvation. Very, actually, very clear. I don't know any um, exegete or any commentary that actually takes that any differently. No one takes it as, you know, this, this call of celibacy, vocation, etc. Another passage that people might go to is where Jesus, you know, this kind of enigmatic um, pericope where Jesus talks about um, some are, uh, you know, eunuchs. They, they made themselves eunuchs, then, you know, they are made eunuchs uh, by, by men or they make themselves eunuchs. That's, that's a, 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 but even there, there's nothing in there. It, it's Jesus essentially saying uh, that singleness in, it, in and of itself is not a bad thing. I mean, it's, it, you have to go through the whole passage, but, but he's not then saying like it's a lifelong vocation that you have to make a, a vow. Uh, so right. all of that to say um, celibacy isn't even in the Latin Bible. It's not in the Latin Vulgate, um, mm-hmm. the, the word celibatus. Uh, it's not even there. So it's strictly in, in Roman Catholic Church history, which has kind of been this developed. And I think it's been distorted of what, of what Paul was teaching, what Jesus was teaching in the New Testament. So that's where we just need to be clarified what's being used here in this conversation is celibacy is not the same thing as being chaste or being pure, which is a good thing. Uh, but celibacy is viewed as this vocational lifelong vow. I am single. That's my condition that I am now. I've always been open to marriage um, and Biblical open marriage. to marriage to a woman, obviously. Yes, biblical marriage. Yes. We have to clear that up. Yes. We have to nowadays post a Burgerfell. But um, but I, I don't find that uh, we can root this uh, so-called vocation in scripture. Okay, well, I've I've completely that's I've been corrected because I for so many years when people kind of ask me about my story or I talk about my story, I say and this is, I guess I've been saying this wrong the whole time, but I, I say that, you know, I'm single and celibate and I'm, you know, I'm happy to be for the rest of my life because, you know, and so I guess that's not the best way to. Well, to but I could say that too, in a sense that I'm happy if, if this is what God has for me for the rest of my life. And honestly, uh, Beckett, I use the word celibacy in my first book. So I'll, I'll admit that. <laughs> but as the conversation has changed. So, I mean, this is why this is the whole thing. I did say, say things 10 years ago. I mean, 2011 was when my book came out. Um, that now afterward, that spiritual friendship has come out and these concepts, I was like, I can't use that terminology anymore because it means something different. Where celibacy, yeah, I would say 10 years ago, before that, there was this almost celibacy, chastity, purities, all kind of the same thing. But then now we have the Roman Catholic um, priesthood, the all of that kind of turmoil coming up. And and then along with spiritual friendship, where now celibacy, I've, I do um, change the way that I, that I use how I define myself. Yeah. And so let's talk about, I mean, 
um, spiritual friendship because it's funny when I, when I first came to faith, uh, there were, and still today, I get a lot of, uh, messages and emails about, uh, you know, I, we, we should start a, a gay, an ex gay support group kind of thing. And, and I always just felt like that is a bad idea. Like it's just bad idea. Because it's just a bunch of people, you know, got, you know, ex-gays or whatever you want to call them sitting around kind of navel gazing and talking about, you know, their kind of sexual minority-ness. And so I, I always just, so whenever people would ask me that, I would just say, mm, I, I, as you said, Rosario, the body of, that's what the body of Christ is for. Amen. It's not, there's no, like some sort of, you know, AA group of ex-gays, like is such a dangerous thing. I think not, not only theologically, but it's dangerous in terms of people could, you know, end up hooking up later. You know, it's just like, that's not a good. Not can be. It, it, it has happened. Yeah, it has happened. And even if it doesn't go that far, it becomes one of the ways that we tell ourselves and others the wrong story about who Christ is and what the church is. Um, you know, the, the Bible is a mirror. Uh, Calvin talks about the three uses of the law. And the first is it's a mirror to show you your sin. And mm-hmm. it's not a, it's not a window. You don't, you know, you don't look into it and find it's not, you know, we're not Buddhists. You're not, you know, finding your oneness with the, with, you know, the cosmos. I mean, that's, well, you know, Romans one, we'll talk to you a little bit about that, but I think it's so vital um, that in the body of Christ, that we develop a way of trusting and loving and understanding each other in it so that we can grow in Christ, not flounder in kind of sectarianism. You know, the church is not the Iowa caucus. We don't need a, uh, you know, the sexual minority group. But, you know, it's interesting as we're looking at the landscape of churches right now, the pressure that's coming out of Canada, and especially with the anti-conversion, uh, you know, the uh, Canada Bill C4, we, maybe we'll get to that, maybe we won't. But, but we need to know that um, your church polity will have a lot to say about whether they can really help you if you're a struggler in this particular climate. Because we are not supposed to just find comfort in the fact that other people identify with our feelings. Um, Hebrews 4, 12, right, tells us that we are to flee to the throne of grace where we will find mercy. Um, The throne of grace, not the throne of condemnation. And we can flee there if we have been justified and we know that Christ's blood was shed for our sin. And one of our sins is the sin of desiring anything that God says no to. And it doesn't matter why you desire it. It doesn't matter if you desire it because of, uh, you know, just general whoredom, right? Or you desire it because of that's the way Adam's sin fell upon you, or it doesn't matter. We cannot develop an identity or even a relationship out of that. And, you know, one of the things we live in, a, we live in a world just just that no, has no understanding of the distinction between the private and the public. I talk a lot in my books and in my public speaking about union with Christ, because it is the central, most, mm-hmm. uh, you know, profound 
uh, Christian doctrine that will give you comfort through all of your days. You know, it's, it's what John Bunyan appealed to 12 years in a prison cell, writing the best allegory on the planet. Yes. Um, and yet I've been progress. told by well-known gay Christians that I just, I just use union with Christ as a platitude to try to keep people in the closet. Now, you know, that that's also part of how you know you're talking to a wolf. I just want you to know that, that if you hear that, you can just call that person Pastor Wolf if you'd like to. That's not his surname. That's his smell name. You can just do it um, because that's ridiculous to suggest that a, a central doctrine of the Christian faith is a platitude. Now, but, why? what's the what's but what's the um, motivation behind calling it a platitude? That's what well, I don't understand. Yeah. The motivation is to say you're pivoting, Rosaria. You don't. Either you never understood how I feel or really you're still a lesbian and you're just not telling anybody. And, you know, I just it just it's it's so vile to me. I mean, especially as as someone who loves her husband exclusively and has had a wonderful marriage. You know, this whole mixed orientation marriage, you know, garbage is a violation of Hebrews 13, 4. You know, you want to defile your marriage bed, then tell everybody in the world what really you know, what really, what you really desire, leaving right. your spouse to and, just. And no, no, I don't know of any other marriage that would do that. It's obscene. Uh, Christopher, it's just obscene. But you know, this so you're saying, so you're saying, no if, need to. so you're saying if you still have remnants of same sex attraction, but you're married to the opposite sex, but then you kind of keep announcing that you're, you still have same sex desire. That's yeah. no bueno. Well, well um, but also, I mean, you're you're naming the marriage as if it's a different type of marriage, right? So I think that's the issue. You, you, you know, which almost like, well, I'm not married like you guys are. You know, I'm I, I have this really weird, different type of marriage where, like, I've got this different, you know, where I'm really sacrificed. You know, I don't really love this person, nor do I ha- even have any attractions for this person. But I'm just doing it just because, like, you know, this is the, you know, I'm I'm I, because God, you know. Yeah, I, I have to kind of suck yeah. it up type of thing. And so it's every, I don't think, I mean, every man, every woman in marriage has to sacrifice of themselves uh, to be, to be one. I mean, and it needs to be a, a continuous thing. So it's not anything unique, uh, no, no. you know, for, for these individuals. And, and that's an, another thing with, with, I think that, that I would like, and maybe, well, before I say that, the reason why I kind of said platitude is a lot of what we, we talk about is identity in Christ and kind of the pushback that is, oh, well, identity is a very modern concept. Well, at least when I say identity in Christ, and I think Rosario as well, it's, you know, it's, we're, we're rooting it, it, the term might be new, the concept is not, you know, identity, we're talking about union with union Christ, with Christ who are yeah. we, you know, so that's right. a very, that goes all the way right back to the, uh, to the New Testament, abiding in me, Jesus' word, Paul's words, I mean, the biblical writers, but I think, um, you know, a little bit what we're getting at is, there's this sense that, um, and I get this as well. You know, I'm, I'm working on this curriculum right now. There's curriculum writers helping me. She, she doesn't really, she doesn't deal with any of these, you know, uh, sexual brokenness issues. And she was sharing with people that she was helping with our ministry with this. And she said, almost everyone had this response. Oh, they must have it so hard. I don't know if you get this or not, uh, Beckett, but they're yeah. like, oh, you must Oh man, you just, you got, you know, you must, your cross that you bear. I have just so much respect for you. And this is my response 
Jesus tells everyone, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And I unfortunately think our churches are full of people who are not doing that. Following Jesus Mm -hmm. should cost us everything. If it hasn't, you're following the wrong Jesus. And so I think an issue with especially revoice and, and, and spiritual friendship is it makes out people like ourselves who may experience that just one aspect of the fall is, you know, the experience or the past of same-sex relationships, fighting uh, same-sex temptation. I do not have it any harder than anyone else. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that too. Yeah. yeah. People... People say, and as you know, in my book, I talk about it. I talk about it all the time. I say this, this is like a common refrain of mine, but people say, isn't it unfair that you have to be single or isn't it unfair? Mm. Your life's unfair. I'm like, are you kidding me? I am the son of a king of the universe. I have eternal life. And and then I always say what's unfair is Jesus had to be tortured, beaten and crucified for my sins. That's unfair. Like my life is, is like the best life you could have. I mean, so I, yeah, I've never felt that sense of like, I've never felt that sense of I'm being cheated out of something ever. Amen. Could I just introduce some, some other things to think yeah. about here? I think that we can all three say that homosexuality is part of our biography, right? It's part of our biography, but since we're Christians, it's not part of our nature. Amen. We've been given a new nature. And so these sloppy terms that Revoice uses, and you know, I don't care how many pastors you put in there or how many people attended covenant, you know, seminary, I don't care because if you can't work out some of these terms, you know, I I mean, I, I'm a homeschool mom. I've got a great middle school logic textbook I could recommend. But, you know, so I'm just not buying it. And I'm also not buying the idea that it's good to come out. I think it's bad to come out. I think if you're listening to this and you are struggling with unholy desires, the people who need to know that, first of all, we would call that an indwelling sin. Uh-huh. And even if you're not practicing it, you know, you know, it's an indwelling sin because you know that you are not to desire that which God hates. And if you've been listening to sermons out there about God whispers on these sins and he shouts on these sins, you can turn off that one right now because that could send you to hell really quick. So don't go there. Yeah, who, but, who was it that said that God whispered? Uh, I told you I'm not going to I know, but it was like somebody prominent. I was shocked that they said that. I was like, I'm, what? I'm going to be such a good girl on this podcast. Okay. You guys aren't going to know what to do with me. <laughs> okay, like, good. Wow. Rosario Go was caffeinated through the whole, you know, two hours on the Beckett Cook show. But <laughs> no, I would say, no, you, you, you should not come out. And here's why. Because the people who need to know your indwelling sin patterns are your pastor Mm-hmm. your elders and some really good close friends who will cover your back. So, but, but wow. the, isn't that kind of coming out in a way? Well, it's out. not, it's not like coming out at revoice or coming out at right. Twitter or coming out. And, and here's why, because yeah, come out in the sense true. of being um, totally open to the whole public yeah, and then no. identifying as that. I, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I think we do so, need to, uh, you know, people say, should I come out? I said, no, you should be open with a few trusted people, mm-hmm. your close, um, your family, your close friends, cr- Christian friends, and your your pastors, you know, because at, at 
as soon as you come out in this kind of social media way or this I'm a sexual minority way, this revoice way, your conscience will be bound. And it will be almost impossible to look at your sin through the crosshairs of an instrument of execution because you're too busy taking selfies at revoice. (laughs) You said you were going to be nice enough. She won't name names. Okay. That's hilarious. Okay. But seriously, like, how do you, I mean, how do we look at our sin? And I, I, this is the best. This is one of those books that I reread every, Mm -hmm. you know, year or so the doctrine of repentance by, by Thomas, Watson. And he says, um, you know, he's just got some really powerful things. He says, Christ is never loved till sin be loathed. Now, I love that. I, oh, by the way, we'll put that the link to those. We'll yeah, put it, all these books in the in if, below. If your conscience is bound by a parachurch ministry that says you need to take a vow of celibacy Um, You need to tell the whole world what, you know, every feeling you have, um, the, the, the profound, the profound violations of your, um, your life in Christ and your union with Christ, not to mention your relationships with one another, you know, sexual sin is a bear. And I think all three of us are part of the wow, how did the Lord get us out of that? Um, it is, it's a, it's a bear. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I wasn't just, you know, a whore, right? I, I was also a, a gay rights activist and mm-hmm. the, the world we live in right now, it's the, I made it. I did this. I did this. I, I hear these ideas and I taught this. I believed this. I, I proclaimed this. Um, and so I know, I know, I mean, Christopher and I have talked about this. Maybe Beckett, you feel the same way too. I mean, I know I feel um, a responsibility to not just pretend that, you know, well, I'm saved. It's me and Jesus now, you know, checking out, <laughs> you know, you guys carry on. But, um, but it's, it's painful. And, and to deny someone the, um, the gift of repentance, you know, one of the things that Thomas Watson makes the point in this book is there's only one person who doesn't want you to repent of your sin. Hmm. And that's Satan. Yeah. So if you're part of the sexual minority group and you're told, you know, it's your sexual orientation, it's morally neutral, it's not a sin. You know what? That's binding your conscience. That's preventing you from repenting. That's keeping you from the throne of grace, right? Psalm 32, happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. I know it's a bit countercultural to say, you want to be happy? Repent more. <laughs> you know, I mean, that sounds yeah. crazy, but that is, that well, is. Spurgeon, what... Spurgeon talked about repentance a lot. So yeah. 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 So anyway, I just, I mean, that's just kind of my, I, I just, you know, yes, yes, homosexuality is part of my biography, but we are Christians and it's not part of our nature. But how, part of how we know that is not one of us here on this, you know, podcast is a self-ID Christian. You know, right. faith, faith comes by hearing of the word, but faith and repentance are connected. And while, while faith is, is not something that we see, you know, again, what Watson says is if we don't see repentance we don't see faith. Right. That's right. 
So it's really serious to deny people real repentance, to reconfigure what sin means so that people are um, persuaded to not repent is very, it's damning. It's a, and that's why I'm calling side B revoice Christianity false teaching. It's damning. It's sending people in the wrong direction. And that direction is called hell. Mm. And I don't say that lightly. I don't take it lightly. But you can't sanctify your gayness. You know, one of the issues that Christopher and I have talked about before with spiritual friendship was this wacky idea that, you know, you could just be a really good gay Christian by um, by somehow channeling your homosexuality into deeper and kinder and more genuine friendships, which is very, you know, talk about pride. It's pretty, that's pretty proud statement right there. But it also is, um, it, you can't, you can't sanctify sin. You just can't. Yeah. You can repent of sin. And God will use your repentance to grow you in union with Christ. And then you will, then you will not sin. And then you will not be identified with that sin. You can't sanctify sin. And anybody who says you can, well, is teaching a false religion. Um, What Machen said in 1920 about the PCUSA, he could be writing about revoice in 2020, or I think, I think Revoice started in 2018. What did he say in, and what did he say about? Well, what he, what he said was that this, this movement among these, uh, among a liberal church that had separated itself from an errancy, what he, what he was saying is that this is a, a false religion because it was a religion for, for people who are really cleaned up in some ways. And what he was saying is that if you um, if you believe that the gospel is for the righteous, well, you're the saddest person on earth because there is no gospel for the righteous. The gospel is for sinners. So if you tell me you're not a sinner because you're same sex attracted and that's a private zone, Holy Spirit can't touch you there. You're telling me you're righteous in this particular area. It's a it's a falsification of what it means to be um, downstream from Genesis three. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got yeah. Machen right here. I can actually quote you if, you if you want me to pull it up and quote you what he but, said. So, it's a powerful. It's a powerful quote. It's a, you know, but it is, it's that not even Jesus could save the righteous. So why do you think you can't? You, yeah. Mr. Liberal pastor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, because some of the watchers, listeners may not be aware of, you know, this is the world we live in. So a lot of the stuff that, that we read or familiar with. Uh, so what an aspect of a of spiritual friendship is inside B gay Christianity is uh, they believe they, they will say uh, my sexual desires, sexual, same sex desires, say, uh, well, sexual same-sex behavior is sin. Some argue that the desire is not, uh, or many do, uh, but they will actually, they'll say, I know that my same-sex sexual behavior is sin. But then they will argue and say, um, but 
many aspects of being gay. And, and right there is whenever you put that being verb, which is a copulated verb, I'm, I don't want to tread on anyone's, uh, you know, this is, this is uh, Rosaria's realm here. <laughs> it's a copulative verb, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a subject and a predicate. And then, uh, but being gay, uh, it's almost kind of like same thing as have kind of like have an equal sign. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not acting um, or, or feeling or mm-hmm. desiring, mm-hmm. experiencing, but it's being, which mm-hmm. right there in its sense is, is a being verb is talking, it's an, it's an essence. It's, it's talking about personhood. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's ontological. Exactly. Yeah, And Paul so, said that we have our being in Jesus Christ. That's right. But then, so people then will say, well, there's aspects of being gay that are not sinful and are actually good. And uh, so they'll say things like um, they appreciate the beauty of, of the same sex. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they are um, uh, friend, friendship geniuses. And what does that mean? Friendship geniuses that they're so because of our same sex attractions that somehow people believe that I'm better at being friends with the same sex than other people. Right. It's just not biblical. I mean, and right. And, uh, that never I, got any of us into trouble either. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, no, never. that was all good. Right. And I mean, so, so there's so many levels in which that, that is such a distortion of, um, I mean, for, well, I don't know where to start, but one, uh, it's continuing to use this vague terminology that just muddies the water. Beauty. What in the world does that mean? I mean, beauty is so distorted today that I'm very, reticent to use that word beauty because right. beauty can mean sexual in many times, but it could also not mean sexual. Um, but uh, another thing is it really muddies the water when it comes to the, the doctrine of sin. And I think that's one of the big issues is a total misunderstanding of the doctrine of sin. I mean, we, we talk about if, if we were to mention the doctrine of sin to any lay person, they're like, they think about sinful behavior. That's one aspect of the doctrine of sin. And, uh, but they equate, they're like, well, this is not sin might not be actual sin, but it's rooted in our sin nature. It's something that's part of our indwelling sin. It is definitely grounded in original sin. So uh, it has a very anemic understanding of the doctrine Mm -hmm. of sin. So when people say, well, you know, there's aspects of being gay, you know, they're like, well, you know, I'm, I, I just want to be a friend with people of the same sex. My mom wants to be friends with other ladies. That does not make her a lesbian or bisexual. That just makes her human. Right. So it's confused. It's conflating and confusing these categories, which is then what Rosari gets to the effect of that, that, that teaching from the public and from social media and from um, websites that and even though, the pulpit, the pulpit. Yeah. Though the person who's saying that, may not intend that, oh, then go out and have these romantic same-sex relationships. That is what is being applied. And so people say, oh, good. So me, you know, celebrating my gayness is, is okay. It's just as long as I don't have sex. So that's oversimplifying sexual immorality, that it's just the behavior. 
But read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five. Jesus was super clear that it's not just the behavior. So, I mean, I just wish that people who kind of just say, well, it's just the, it's just the same sex, sex is wrong. Read Jesus's words. Well, Matthew yeah. chapter five, you know, if a man looks lustfully after a woman and we could put in there or a man or anything, he has sinned. And, and people like to say, oh, well, the, you know, it, it's only intent. You know, if they have the intent, uh, you know, that actually it's the, the, the way it's said in Greek is just if you just lust, if you have the uh, desire, actually, it's the same word for lust. So it's not that desire turns into lust, uh, wrongly ordered desire is lust. Yeah, and I uh, the this whole kind of spiritual friendship thing too is is problematic because there. I, and, and from what I understand of it, and what I've seen from it, is there's almost an emotional affair going on in that friendship. It I is, mean, yeah. it, it's it's everything but you know an actual sexual affair. So it's like it's, this- it's marriage without the sex. They actually covenant together. They live together. There's even uh, like maybe touching or something. Or- oh, yes. Hold, hand holding. I mean, even one of the, uh, you know, writers of, you know, spiritual friendship was talking about how he romanticized and would daydream about holding hands and cuddling with another man. If I ever did that, the first thing I would need to do is repent. Yeah. And you just don't hear that. That's devoid. Um, if I'm crying over one of my best friends who just got married for days I need to repent. I shouldn't, I should be happy uh, for someone. And if I begin grieving and, you know, the loss of this friend, there's something that I need to look at my heart and see I've taken what was intended to be. And, and I don't actually like to use the word friendship because the Bible actually is, doesn't talk too much about friendship. It's talked about a little bit, but actually what you, can't get around is the word of brotherhood, sisterhood, and family. So I have a chapter in my book, if anyone wants to read it, it's not called spiritual friendship, but it's spiritual family. And it was very intentional because that is the Bible, the New Testament writers has uh, provided already uh, the means for which we can get a relational intimacy met. And actually, it's not primarily in marriage, but it's primarily in the body of Christ, the beautiful body of Christ, where right. we're going to get not only, you know, relationship and, and um, compassion and, and understanding, but correction. Mm-hmm. What friend uh, is going to preach, you know, what group of friends get together and they preach to each other. They don't, you know, I mean, we need that though. We need daily uh, or, you know, weekly coming together to, to receive uh, the means of grace in that way. Yeah. I mean, the writer of Hebrews says, exhort one another daily. <laughs> it's like Dick Lucas said, what's it at a serve or a talk he gave years, you know, he's like a hundred years old now, but I love him. But he uh, talked about, you know, he's like, do you understand what this means? A Christian can't go 24 hours without being corrected. Um, isn't that striking? So <laughs> It's true that that, that we was need pretty that. good. My goodness! Wow, <laughs> I think that just made this whole video worthwhile. <laughs> Could I add one thing to what Christopher just said? Yes. Okay, because I mean, and you know, we the danger of talking about something publicly for a long period of time is people are going to notice. Well, hey, you know, you've grown to be more conservative, and I think that's true. But I want to just. I push back just a little bit on something and get maybe, you know, see if I'm, if I'm, if, if you would agree with this. Um, 
I would say that we don't want to, you know, pit biblical marriage against the brotherhood in, in, in the body of Christ. So I don't want to, you know, like rank things in a particular way, but the Bible certainly gives a very high ranking to the creation mandate so high that it's the very first law. It's the first covenant. And, um, and since we are covenantal Christians, this is what I would say that in the same way that in the body of Christ, um, if there's somebody in the church who goes out and is doing evangelism uh, on the street corners at midnight, we're just not expecting the nursing mothers to do it. Sorry, we're just not expecting them to do it. But you know what? If we're all part of the same body, we're all tithing, we're all worshiping together, we're all praying for each other. That nursing mother, uh, who's not on a street corner proclaiming the gospel because she's nursing her baby at midnight, actually gets the same blessing. Mm-hmm. And likewise, what I would say is that those members of, a, of the body of Christ who are fully supporting and encouraging and blessing uh, biblical marriages and, um, and, and blessing the raising of those covenant children and really pouring into them. I mean, Christopher, the way you have poured into, uh, you know, my children who call you Uncle Christopher, right? And the way that you, you know, that can't be... It can't be replicated. Your love for them can't be replicated. And your support of, of, of me and Kent and our family, well, God blesses you, accrues that blessing of, of that covenant to you in that situation. So do you see what I'm saying? So we don't, you know, in the body of Christ, we don't all do the same things. But if we are really... Um, loving righteousness and hating sin, upholding people in our weakness and encouraging people in our, in our loneliness in the right and good and godly way. Well, we share in that same covenantal blessing, no ranks. Do -hmm. you agree? I like that. Christopher, do you have a response? Yeah, I I think um, I I wasn't. uh, Yeah. So much. The, the what 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 I was getting at was um, just scriptures promotion of family over against this kind of romanticized concept of friendship, right. and um, so and I mean in, in a sense you know I think the church um, gets the nuclear family they just don't get the spiritual family. I, I think um, what, where, where the church needs to grow is sometimes we view family as our home and a fortress and, um, and we're very insular in that home and not viewing the home um, as an avenue of the means of grace, uh, a, a place where um, the great commission is, can be fulfilled. So it's, the, uh, you know, with that concept. So that's, that's what I, I, I wanted. And, and that's, I think the problem as well with friendship. Friendship is very insular. It's me and you, we're best friends, right? Mm-hmm. For life, right? I mean, we can even do like, you know, the, yeah. the, you know, the picky out. <sighs> I don't need that. What I need is brothers and sisters who truly are, like, I think Christians sometimes think like that, brother and sister in the Bible is just like this metaphor, you know, like we're just, 
I just call you brother, but like, that's just like a, a just a name, like a nickname. Um, the way that the New Testament draws this, and this is the b- beautiful biblical theology of going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all this emphasis upon blood family, tribes, mm-hmm. clans, etc. And then the New Testament writers and Jesus himself even kind of expanding this understanding, not nullifying, but expanding the understanding of family, um, that it's the family of God. So I, I yeah. think, and, and when we think about that, then that's when we get diversity. Like when we're just thinking about friends, you know, my best friend, you know, you know, you know we're, we're just going to be us two for life. I don't need that, but I need the church. Um, I need brothers and sisters that are different from me. I don't, I don't need everyone the same who's struggling with the same issue with me. Oh my goodness. That would yeah. not be good at all. <laughs> like, I don't need people the same as me. I need, you know, my, my former roommate from, from Moody, um, 20 years ago, we still are super close. He's a pastor in Spokane and we're best friends and he's so different from me totally different from me. Praise the Lord. I just, I need someone that's different. He doesn't wrestle with, with same sex attractions. He's got his own issues as I have my own issues, but um, our love for Christ is what carried me through. And so that's what the, the diversity body of Christ, but if I'm seeking someone else who is that the exact Mm -hmm. same sin struggle as me, um, who's kind of made this, this vow based on church history. And we both vowed together. We're going to do life together and even make a vow to each other for life. Mm-hmm. Um, friendship is never meant to replace marriage ever. Um, so do some of those, do are some of those vows, are they taken so far as to kind of almost be official vows that they do oh yes okay they, yeah. they do official vows they have anniversaries i even saw this on facebook wow. like on and yeah oh yeah i know <laughs> that's a good response wow um they celebrate and i'm just and, and some of these is where one is married and i'm just like i just i'll be honest i feel sorry for the wife you know oh, you know like like if you know yeah. this guy best friend and they're like celebrating this anniversary together nine-year anniversary of being best friends or whatever and that's not, should we have people who commit to each other? Yes. David and Jonathan did that. That's not a vow of basically spiritual friendship. It was, first of all, it was social political, but they were make a vow to family. Your, <clears throat> I talk about this in my book, John, David and Jonathan ha- have been used in, among Christian men as the quintessential example of friendship, male best, best friends. The Bible never, it's so interesting, never calls them friends. Instead, the Bible, they call each other brother. And then taking that to the New Testament, how we see that expanded, that we actually truly are brothers. Why? Because by grace, through faith in Christ, we're now reconciled to God, being going from children of wrath to children of God. We're children of God. And if we're children of God and he has adopted us, I mean, all these wonderful Christian theological concepts coming together that now we are actually family. We are true family bound by the blood of Christ and that's eternal. Um, So I think that's what I need and elevating that concept of the church um, and, and, you know, and seeing that having that eternal view of how we're going to be living um, as real, true brothers and sisters eternally 
um, is a beautiful concept that I think we we shouldn't trivialize and um, and and need to actually live out here. Like that's what I need. I don't need a best friend for life. Do I need friends? Well, yes, but even better, I, I like to you know I, I'll have to think of you guys as brothers and sisters. I, I, you know when I when I text Rosaria sister because <laughs> that's not her nickname. No, <laughs> you know yeah. that's who she really is. Yeah. Yeah, that was the kind of the extraordinary thing when I when I came to faith because all of my seven siblings and my parents are were believer are believers. My parents are with Christ right now, but mm. it, it was like this kind of recognition immediately. I, and I, I when I went home for the first time after I got saved, I was like, "Not only are we biological brothers and sisters, <laughs> we are spiritual brothers and sisters." Like, how crazy is that? You know, my awesome. all all ten of us. You know, all or all eight of us and my parents too. But um, wow, so, yeah, awesome. that, I that that. That to me, because Jesus says, you know, who were who was my brother, my brother, my mother, my sister. He's like the the person who does the will of God, yeah. of the Father. And I actually recently talked to a friend about this who who was I don't know if I can get into this too much, but um, I was talking to a friend and I just was telling her how our relationship as brother and sister in Christ is eternal and how her relationship with some members of her family who are not believers, you know, so our, I was trying to explain to her that we're, we're like actually more related (laughs) than you are to some of your family members. And I think that kind of shocked her, but um, yeah, it's true. So uh, let's, okay. And so what, obviously you guys get this question, I'm sure, a lot. I get it all the time in Q and A's. And what do you think? What do you think is the best way to answer this? Because I get, you know, do you, hey Beckett, do you still struggle with same sex attraction, or are you still same sex attracted, or do you still like they they ask me kind of this like status question or or whatever? So how do you guys respond to that? So, um, or sometimes they'll ask, so are you still gay? <laughs> and I'm like, can we just rewind what I just said for the past hour and listen right. to it again? <laughs> but, and usually it's not parents. I mean, or, or adults, it's usually kids. I get it. You know, and so kids, it's, they're so ingrained in this framework, this Freudian framework. I, I really want to encourage people. Um, what, what I challenge people is to look at this framework. It's not um, terminology or we're not quibbling over this. It's a framework. Mm-hmm. It's a secular Freudian framework, which is heterosexual, hetero, heterosexuality, bisexuality, homosexuality. It's a secular framework that was not just kind of labeling people's experiences, labeling their attractions or labeling their behavior. Oh, absolutely not. If you look in the mid mid 1800s, the psychologists and psychiatrists that were using it, they were creating a new category of personhood. I'm kind of pulling from Rosaria's book, Openness Unhindered. She was, I think, one of the first people that kind of just put it out there and and said, this is what it is. And that she's exactly right. It's a, um, it was naming what, what actually occurred in the mid 1800s, but it's, it's creating this new category of person. So not only are we now 
Chinese and white and Italian or whatever. Uh, I guess, are, are you, uh, are you Irish? What are you, Beckett? Uh, I'm kind of a Western uh, European, but English, <laughs> like that. English yeah. and um, yeah. yeah. So not only are we like now different categories according to, you know, ethnicity, but now, you know, and also are we new categories of like male or female, um, but now we're categories, you know, according to our sexual desires and God never intended us to be uh, differentiated humanity according to desi- sexual desires or any desire for that matter. Uh, but so uh, what I really hope is people to really uh, criti- think critically and take this framework and just set it aside. And yeah. though we might use it uh, when we're engaging on these topics and using it to, to talk to people, these terms should really only describe our experience, not people. It shouldn't be a gay man. It should be a person who experiences, who might have that, but that's not who they are. Um, but so people ask that. I actually frame it. I say, I, I, whenever I ask these questions, I, I don't want to teach people just on sexuality. I want to step back and help them to think biblically. Mm-hmm. So I say, first of all, when Christians are converted, does that mean are Christians still tempted? You know, we all are tempted. Jesus Christ was tempted. Um, and, uh, and so a person needs to daily mortify the flesh, daily mm-hmm. resist sin. Now, being tempted is not the same thing as giving into temptation. Giving in temptation is actual sin. Give, uh, being tempted, it's rooted in our sin nature. James talks about that. It's coming. So can you have external temptation, internal temptation, which is you know, rooted in our sin nature? Uh, but we need to resist those. So I kind of frame that. So to remind people, this is all humanity, an issue of all humanity. And then I say, uh, though I might still be tempted in this way, it's just one of many. Like I, I am tempted to be prideful. I'm tempted to be angry. I'm, you know, there's a lot of things that my center. So, so I want people to realize that the problem is sin, sin. Yeah. And, And it's a human issue. Yeah, Rosario, what what say you? Yeah, I, well, I was going to say that uh, you know, I I, I want to those kinds of questions are very trapping questions because what you don't want, especially when you're speaking to two thousand people, is you don't want somebody to you don't want to start having people measure their feelings against your feelings because mm. that's really unhelpful. But um, you know, I'm I'm I've been biblically married for over twenty years. I am grateful to be able to say that I do not experience. Uh, same-sex attraction any longer. Um, I wasn't zapped. It didn't just stop. Like, you know, I didn't just, you know, converted and then, you know, brain was rebooted and that's it. Because as I said before, homosexuality is part of my biography. Mm -hmm. And I've had to really lean into what it means to not have it be part of my nature. But biblical marriage has been a wonderful place to learn those things. I mean, Kent is a godly man and he truly does dwell with me as though the weaker vessel and has done things that nobody's ever done, like protect me and Mm. um, not put me out in front of the dogs because, you know, I'm an old Italian street fighter, you know, I mean, seriously, (laughs) things like that, you know, I mean, he really, um, you know, I, I just, it, it's a marriage A good biblical marriage is a wonderful place for patterns to um, be completely, you know, reworked. And I'm grateful for that. But I do want to say, um, 
back to what Christopher was saying, because it's so important, you know, in the same way that we need to drive a fresh nail into our choice in every hour of the day, usually, right? Um, we also need to be very careful about how polluted the language of our our culture is. And so when Christopher uses heterosexuality, according to Freud, he's not talking about the creation ordinance. He's not right. talking about a man and a woman um, and biblical marriage. Because under Freud, heterosexuality is all about men having sex with as many women as possible so you can get as many potential, you know, little little yous out there in the world and under heterosexual, you know, under heterosexuality under Freud is all the women, you know, trying to have sex with all the, you know, the best matches so that what your, you know, progeny can survive and be the fittest. That's not helpful. Nor biblical. Yeah. No, no. But it does mean that sometimes Christopher and I are misinterpreted. In fact, I just somebody sent me a podcast recently where we were really I mean, the guy was so sweet and respectful. In fact, I I, I'll talk to you later about who he is and try to see if we can kind of just have a conversation with him because, you know, because we do use this word heterosexual in this sometimes pejorative way. We're talking about heterosexuality under Freud, which is evolution you know it's it's darwinian we're not talking about we're not disparaging in any way the creation ordinance of which we are all a part praise be to god yes yes yeah and and if i could just i i don't like to answer that question in person because i can just kind of see the young people trying to measure Mm. you know feelings it's just it's a hard one um, but then I'm also told, you know, at, at Revoice and other places that I've just, you know, I, I apparently still struggle all the time. I just don't like to tell people that, um, and, you know, you're just like people really, you know, really They'd like I, to make up your own story. Yeah. For well, because, and I'll tell you why, because also under under Freud, if I no longer struggle, then that means that I was really no longer right. that I really wasn't gay. You never really were lesbian. I never really were. And, you know, what, what I tell people is, look, if I was lesbian enough to go to hell for unrepented sin, I was probably lesbian enough to have, you know, a good <laughs> smackdown Titus II mom talk with you right now. <laughs> right. So it's almost like uh, you have a descetic view of your lesbianism. <laughs> yeah. You only seem to be lesbian. Yeah, exactly. It's like Jesus seemed to be Christ. Right. If I can add, yes, yeah. and, I, and I sometimes do forget to add. I completely believe that God can remove permanently. Yes. And, and, and because I know that for sure, because he will right. on the last day, you know, right? right? No sickness, no death, no sin. Praise the Lord. I'm so looking forward to that. I know. Um, but, but the, so I totally, and, and I know that, that it does occur in, in some but the issue still is, it's our sin nature. So though this one aspect might be removed, what I'm still fighting on this side of glory is my sin nature. Romans, you know, Romans 7, it's, you know, I do what I don't want to do. And, and that's, that's just life daily. Um, now, I also add that 20 years ago compared to now, Totally different. Praise the Lord. Like, you know, 20 years ago when I first got out of, you know, out of prison, it was hard. It was difficult. I had a lot of body memories and I had just a lot of just, it was just too recent, you know, that I could just yeah. pull back a few years ago and it was just right there. Um, emotions too. So it wasn't just sexual. It was all these, my emotions and stuff, you know, previous 
anything, a song would come on, a smell. And so I'm, there's distance from that. So it's not like that, but I'll never say that I don't have a sin nature. So I want to remind people that, that though, um, you know, sometimes I'm accused that I don't believe in transformation. That's absolutely not true. I believe, uh, I don't believe in the Freudian, uh, you know, definition of transformation, gay to straight or whatever. I believe in biblical view of transformation, which can never be separated in repentance. Mm-hmm. I believe that repentance and transformation are like this. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, then that person hasn't really repented, that the person hasn't actually been truly converted. Um, conversion, repentance, transformation. Uh, it's re- repentance and transformation is the fruit of conversion that only happens by grace through faith. Mm-hmm. So definitely, I believe, uh, but the root of the issue is being biblical and understanding that we have a sin nature. Yeah, I, you know, I, because I, I, when I get asked that question at conferences and stuff and Q and A's, I don't even like, I tell, I tell people, I don't even like, and I, but I like the framework that you're talking about, Christopher. And I, I, that's very helpful now that I'm going to, I'm going to use that. But I, yeah, I often just say, I know I really don't like to kind of even speak this over myself, you know, that I'm Mm. still same sex attracted. And like, it's, you know, instead of a hundred percent, it's 10% now. Like I used to say that a lot. (laughs) Mm. And, um, so yeah, like what you're saying is comparing our, you know, our yes. ratios. Uh, but <laughs> and, right. and uh and I just uh yeah, and so I I I try not I try to re it's almost like when Jesus is asked a question, he doesn't answer it directly, he just kind of reframes the question and asks it back. And so um I try, but that's that's very helpful for me because I I often get that and I'm just like yeah i mean i still experience this but it's not it's like uh, as you say it's one among many things that you know i sins that are still that i still deal with as a as a this side of glory and so and i um, try to use biblical terminology because attraction is just what does that mean um so i use temptation and desire you know because i you know i may be still tempted with my flesh you know, I make that, you know, everyone, you know, we all are tempted with our flesh in general. And then this flesh is, is not just the temptation, you know, of same sex. Yeah. But it's, it's a lot of other things. And that's why this is the, this is what the calling of every Christian believer. Yeah. And so what, what are, what are your, cause I, I had this kind of in my notes, what are your thoughts on terms like ex-gay, same or same sex attracted, you know, I'm a same sex attracted Christian, or I'm, I mean, we kind of, we've already kind of discussed this, but those two terms in particular are very common. So what would you say about those terms? Well, I mean, Rosario already kind of pulled a lot on this about how it's um, very, 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 very few people are called to what the three of us are are doing, which is be so public. Um, And I encourage Uh, people not to do well i have some people like oh i want to just be like you no 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 (laughs) no um you know what was it one person rosario was like oh i wish i had your testimony right no (laughs) no 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 you don't be more like christ like that's the only thing um so i i don't you know i I don't say yeah i'm a same such a tragic christian yeah i'm a christian 
And, you know, if, and that's what I encourage others to do now, uh, do you not tell anyone? No, you, you tell you the very closest people around yeah. you, um, your mentors, uh, people who have spiritual headship over you, whether it's an elder, uh, church leader, uh, pastor, youth pastor, even someone that, you know, who's exhibiting, um, be very Christ-like exhibiting grace, uh, but definitely, I don't identify it as all of that. I just identify as a Christian. Right. Rosar, do you have anything to add? Yeah, what I would just say to that is this is a very different world also than the world that Christopher and I both um, were converted from. Um, and so it is very dangerous. It is very foolish and very dangerous to play with that kind of fire right now. It is not safe to come out. And anybody who tells you that it is, does not either know Christ or know you or have your best interest in, in, in mind. Um, what you need to do is deal with, with sin and you need to deal with sin biblically and you need to deal with sin biblically by remembering that it's not a bad thing to be ashamed of your sin. Actually, that's a good thing, but go to Christ because he's already taken that shame. So you don't need to, you don't need to wear that. That's not yours to wear, but you need to develop a, practice a daily hourly practice of repentance christopher and i have a a friend who says that every time i talk about repentance she gets post-traumatic stress disorder well that's not a good sign that's not a good sign at all and we need to be careful also let me just say something else not only do we do we not only do we need to be careful about individually encouraging young people to come out if they're struggling But we also need to be careful about some of the books that are out there that do. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it gets really challenging because we live in a world that has, um, I mean, the normalization of um, the normalization of homosexuality and the particular way that that normalized approach is now being read into scripture is vile it's wrong. It's a violation of the third commandment and the holiness of God, but it is truly, truly putting a millstone around the neck of young people. I was just speaking at a conference, you know, last week and I could tell, you know, how, you know, sometimes if it's a small enough room, you can watch people and you can just kind of see their, their faces. And I could tell, you know, this is somebody really not, you know, really mad at me, really. And when I said, there's no such thing as a gay person, uh, there's, there's just no such thing. It's a, it's just, you know, there's, you know, um, she pulls no punches. I love it. Yeah. And so anyway, anyway, she, you know, um, um, she came, Ken's Ken's been coming with me to conferences. So basically this way it's, it's, it's a women's conference and this way the sound guy has somebody to hang out with, you know? Um, but it also gives Kent an opportunity to pray for people and to just, Mm -hmm. you know, share with them just life and truth. And, um, and she came up to both of us and said, (laughs) Uh, I can't believe you said there's no such thing as a gay person. And I said, well, I'll say it again. There's no such thing as a gay person. (laughs) You said, I said, how does that make you feel? And she looked at me and she burst out in tears and she said, understood. And I said, good. Wow. (laughs) Let's deal with this. Let's deal with this because you don't, you know, again, it's an, it's a millstone. It's a millstone. You do not need to wear whatever, indwelling sin pattern you have you know and people who say you do are you know they should be just run out of town Mm -hmm. um 
And I mean, I, I, you know, I have a book on my desk. I could read it a, t- a section if you want, but it's very seductive the way young people are being encouraged to read sin patterns of sexuality that come out of a Freudian frame into scripture. And then they're being told that somehow that's missional. Well, if by missional, you mean everybody goes to hell. Okay. That's missional, but that's the wrong mission. Right. That's the wrong mission. You're on Satan's playbook right now. Yeah. And don't, don't play with that. That's not okay. That's not safe. Um, we don't, we're not to identify with one another in our sin. We're to identify with Christ and then through Christ, love one another. Well, we can't love anybody. Well, um, unless we're loving through Christ, mm-hmm. um, sin is predatory. Sin doesn't stay where you put it. It's a predator. It will eat alive everything you love and everything has to be mediated through Christ. The Christ who loves you and died for you, the Christ who, who bore all of the shame of the cross and who, who, who fought temptation through death itself. None of us could say even, even close to that. that. That Christ loves you if you indeed are a Christian. Um, but, yeah. you know, we've we got to be real careful with that. Well, if you would, would you read that section of the book that you were talking sure. about? I'm not going to tell you where it comes from because I'm being a good girl. Oh, oh do you want to, unless you, did you want me to read the section of the Machen book on? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. If Okay. Let me read okay, the, yeah. let me read the, the Machen... good book first and then let me read the dangerous book second. If we have time. And tell me, tell my, the audience again, what the book is. Uh, this is uh, Jay Gresham Machen who wrote a book called Christianity and Liberalism. Okay. He uh, was a pastor in the PCUSA. He was um, excommunicated and his, he was stripped of his ordination. And he went on to be a founder of, I believe, the PCA. Is that correct, Christopher? Um, he certainly was a founder of, the, of a seminary so. that, that yeah, led. Yeah. <clears throat> Westminster, right? Yeah. But um, much of what he was dealing with was the liberalism of his day that valued social justice. Can you imagine this over uh, actually, no, I just don't make this stuff up. You know what I mean? I just read this. <laughs> he valued social justice and kind of do-goodism over other things and also valued identifying with causes. Yes. And so, um, um, and, he, and he calls this the modern church. He says the fundamental fault of the modern church, you could, inf- you could put revoice in there if you wanted to, is that she is busily engaged in an absolutely impossible task. She is busily engaged in calling the righteous to repentance. Modern preachers are trying to bring men into the church without requiring them to relinquish their pride. They are trying to help men avoid the conviction of sin. The preacher gets up into the pulpit, opens the Bible, and addresses the congregation somewhat as follows. You people are very good, he says. You respond to every appeal that looks toward the welfare of the community. Now we have in the Bible, especially in the life of Jesus, something so good that we believe it is good enough, even for you good people. Such is modern preaching. It is heard every Sunday in thousands of pulpits, but it is entirely futile. Even our Lord did not call the righteous to repentance. And probably we shall be no more successful than he. Wow. Okay. I love that book. I'm getting that book. Yeah. Uh, now, now read the bad news. 
or the or read the uh, the the bad book. Okay, so this would be a typical book that your um, young people would be reading. It's marketed not just to young people in the church, but it's marketed really to anybody. And pastors. And and pastors, just and but you know, people who just really want to be sensitive and understand that those trans Christians out there, you know, they they need to be uh, just you know uh, approved of right where they are. And and the last podcast, you and I talked about how Ken Smith really tutored me, catechized me, and the difference between acceptance and approval. But listen to this, see what you think of it. Katie grew up as the youngest of several brothers in a context where men were expected to be masculine and women to be feminine. Real men served in the military and women typically stayed home and made babies. Katie's brothers naturally joined the military and went off to war. They were the epitome of masculinity. KD, on the other hand, had another sort of gift. He loved to write poetry. KD struggled with many emotions throughout his life, doubt, depression, anxiety. He also had times when he was so filled with joy, he could hardly contain himself. Often he would grab a pen and bleed his emotions onto paper. Like many poets, KD also had a talent for writing and playing music. While his brothers were off at war, KD stayed home and wrote poetry and music, singing songs about nature, beauty, depression, God, and his best friend, John. John and KD were inseparable. They spent loads of time together and desperately missed each other when they were apart. KD vowed that he would spend the rest of his life with John, and John felt the same. They weren't sexual with each other, but they were more than your typical American male friends. When they were together, they would laugh, they would cry, they would talk, they would hug, and sometimes they would even kiss in a friendship sort of way. A few years later, John enlisted in the military, went off to war. He rose to the ranks and was a skilled fighter, but one day John was killed in battle. When the news reached KD's ear, He was devastated. He fell into a depression. He refused to eat. He wept profusely. Once the tears dried up enough for him to see, KD did the only thing that could soothe his pain. He took his pen and poured out his heart in a poem, describing John's love as better than the love he felt toward women. After KD's own death, the poem would be published and read by millions. So moving, so intimate, so loving were the words of that poem that some people to this day believe that KD and John were gay. Wow. And that you're saying that book is, is, is uh, offered a lot at, uh, for, for Christians to read. I do. I, I'll hold up the cover if you want me to, but if you, you don't want to be controversial. Well, I'm curious I now. I know I do. I want to know. Oh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> That's not even the worst part. I just read you the part that connected to what Christopher was saying about this, you know, emotional, kind of romantic, you know, I mean, because even the author is going to go on and say, you know, uh, you know, I don't think they were gay, but some people do. And who am I to judge? You know, I I don't think transgenderism um, preceded the fall, but I wasn't in the garden. Who am I to judge? Says this author. Yeah. And now this is ridiculous. And this is what our young people are facing. And they have to feel like they are being torn apart by wild horses. 
Maybe they're in a church where they don't know how to connect with people. And if the only connection they get is this kind of false teaching, it will go, it will go very hard for them. I know I've said this. I think Christopher has said this too. I don't know how I would have come to Christ 20 some years ago. I mean, I just, I can't, I'm not strong enough. The Lord knows that I am such a weak woman that I needed, I needed things to go down during an easier time. And who would have thought that a gay rights activist in New York who left a tenured post to become a, you know, a Christian would say that was easy. I mean, I can't believe 20 years later, I'm looking back and saying, wow, that's, that's easy. But you know what, compared to what young people are going through today, Beckett, Christopher, it was like, it was as easy as like letting gravity have me fall out of bed. I know. 20 years ago. Yeah. If someone told me what you need most is a lifelong man that you can fall in love with, um, do life with, um, and, you know, vow together, uh, but don't have sex. I mean, and if I could just add a side note, um, if there was someone that I was quote unquote in love with of the same sex and we couldn't have sex, that would not be fun. Like that would not, that would be miserable. I couldn't touch that person. I could, well, I guess, I mean, they're touching each other in a friendship type of way and kissing each other in a friendship. I don't know how you do that, but. Um, <clears throat> Greet them with a holy kiss. That's yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, I think that it, a, a, an underlying issue as well is oftentimes people, you know, saying, well, I use the word gay missiologically, like, like, like Rosario said, um, you know, having, I'm, I'm Chinese, so I'm, I'm familiar with the ways of Hudson Taylor, et cetera. Um, you adopt things of the culture that um, aren't sinful, you know? So for example, clothing, it's not a sin issue, um, but you're not going to begin adopting um, uh, Buddhism to try to reach a Chinese person. Right. That's wrong. That's not right. So, um, but sometimes people also say, oh, well, you know, I'm using this phen- phenomenologically which sometimes I kind of laugh because I don't know if people are using this term to impress that they've been to graduate school or they've read a few books. Uh, but what lay person knows what that means? You know, I mean, phenomenologically, okay, you can say that and, and people are so, Ooh, you know, that's so impressive. Basically it's, and bet they're actually not even using that term correctly because phenomenologically means that you're actually, it's a research methodology that, uh, so a term gay is not a research methodology. Uh, phenomenological, you know, approach is, you know, to, to use experience to kind of study a certain demographic, unless spiritual friendship is actually studying that demographic, which are, which are not, um, that's a misuse of that term, but I know what they're getting at. They're just using that as an adjective to describe their experience, but that's not how it's being used. The term gay is actually used to tie into kind of the philosophy that we have today, which is of oppression and victimhood. Mm-hmm. So the term gay is actually not only a category of personhood, but it's specifically a category of victimhood. So reading authors like, like we just mentioned and others, and especially Revoice, um, there's not a single talk, single workshop, a single plenary that is the majority is talking about victimization. So for example, people like me who might have that past, um, I'm a victim. And what makes it worse is who's the oppressor? The church. The church. Over 
and over and over and over. It just throws the church, the bride of Christ mm-hmm. under the bus. Now, I'm not going to say that the church right now is perfect. We have much to do. And I would be the first to critique how Christians um, <clears throat> were getting a lot of things wrong. We're not understanding things like sin, repentance, sanctification correctly, that, that we're not understanding the gospel all the time correctly. Our, 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 sometimes our knowledge and our practice don't follow. There's a lot of things where I do do that. However, I would never give the church a black eye. I'm going to critique, but realize I'm critiquing myself. I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm not, I'm not the body of Christ. Me and my friends, we're not the body of Christ. I'm, I'm members of the body of Christ. So I think that's highly problematic when you read uh, issues of lots and lots and lots of stories. I think stories can be important. I think, you know, my past, our stories are important, but that's not where um, we get most of our meaning. Yeah. And so um, I think when we hear all these stories of oppression, which is, this is just one of many, many stories that is used um, when speaking, you know, but, but in, in these books, which stories of oppression and sorrow and, and, and just sadness. And that's why people are like, I feel so sorry for you. And I just, Oh, please don't feel sorry for me. Don't yeah, feel sorry. For I, me. that's why, you know, I, when I, I mean, I might have to mention a book because when I was first saved, someone recommended Washington waiting to me and I, I, I read it. And the biggest takeaway for me is this, how is this person so joyless and depressed? Like this is the most depressing book I've ever read. Exactly. So dark. And I actually like, helped get it banned from our book table at our church. Cause I was like, this is like so bad. Like this, I, I don't know what this is, but it's not good. It's not ho- There's no hope, zero hope. And no I'll hope. just say the gospel gives us hope. And, oh, and if, God. and if when people, when people are writing and speaking um, conferences and in books and it's hopeless, it's, it's certain that the gospel isn't present. The gospel is not there. I mean, I'm, I want to continuously, you know, preach the gospel. Actually, I'm, I'm, I say this now, even when I tell my testimony, my testimony is not about a man who I used to identify as gay and no longer does. This is my identify. This is my testimony. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was, was blind, blind. And now I see, I once did not believe. And now I believe in the only thing that really matters in his name is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Yeah, I mean, going back to the church thing, you know, uh, you know, I, this might be Pollyanna-ish for me because I, 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 I happen to get saved in a really great church in Hollywood, uh, and I just, whenever I ever heard, and you know, I could be wrong, you know, I know there were decades of probably um, mishandling of things, but. In my experience, I when people would say things like, oh, I was burned by the church. I no longer go to church. I mean, in my mind, I was like, oh, you mean they called you out on your sin? <laughs> like, <laughs> was that the burn that you got from the church? Because <laughs> it's loving. Yeah. But, you know, right? I mean, it is. It's, it's the, um, and, and repentance is a beautiful thing. It's a, you know, it, you as you repent, you draw closer to Christ. And we're told in Philippians, right, 2, two ten that that we are to share in the suffering of Christ. 
that doesn't include our repentance. No, it doesn't when we feel, suffer feel for good. our sin, that's not it. We're, but, but here's the thing, church, we do need to get ready to suffer for Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill C4 is coming our way. Nothing stays in Canada. It just, it, it doesn't. So and church, let's tell, tell us really quickly, what is Bill C4? Bill C4 is, it's billed as a quote unquote anti-conversion therapy. Which already, um, we, you know, we already have those in the United States, but yes. all those bills that now turn to local laws right. are only laws, not criminal Right. But laws just to do with maybe like business fraud, so you could be fined, or you could maybe have your license taken away as a therapist, et cetera. But not and if I can criminal. just jump in here, I mean, Christopher and I have been critical of conversion therapy as a theology. In other right. words, I am too. I am too. Of like a church that doesn't believe it's competent to counsel and it farms off its people mm-hmm. to a parachurch ministry. So we've been we have been in the past. Um, critical of that move, but we have never been supportive of bans on any kind of therapy. Yeah, if say if, if someone is you know needs help with their right. struggle, like yeah, they should be allowed to get that. Absolutely, help. but yeah. to, to elevate it to a to a to a doctrinal statement, sort of like what we're doing right now today with vaccines and mask mandates, right? If you're a church and you haven't written vaccines and mask mandates into your Apostles' Creed, well, obviously you don't love your neighbor. Just you know, read David French in the Atlantic this week and you can, you know, <laughs> learn that one, you idiot Rosaria, you know, but, um, but yeah. So, I mean, I think we're doing the same thing now, but it, but it basically it is a, um, even the way it's written is so, you know, like you read it and you're like, is this George Orwell? It seems a little too contemporary. Oh know? yeah. No, um, it's very Orwell. Yeah. The, the enactment amends the criminal code among other things to create the following offenses, a causing another person to undergo conversion therapy, B doing anything for the purpose of removing a child from Canada with the intention that the child undergo conversion therapy outside of Canada, C promoting or advertising conversion therapy, um, and D, receiving financial or other material benefits from the provision of conversion therapy. Whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society because, among other things, it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation. Well, there's a mouthful. Yes. Gender identity and gender expression, including the myth that heterosexuality cis gender gender identity i kid you not it's written right in here i know i read gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred can you imagine that one over all other sexual orientations gender identities and gender expressions and whereas in light of those harms it is important to discourage and denounce the provision of conversion therapy in order to protect the human dignity and equality of Canadians. And then there is a clause, though, that lets everyone not worry. Don't worry. It doesn't go the other way. Um, If you promote transgenderism, you will not fall under this clause. The only kind of conversion that might be damaging for you is the conversion that is called reality. God or the, con- yeah, the conversion from homosexuality to heterosexuality is the only thing that's banned. 
Well, or, or the conversion from thinking I'm a man to thinking I'm a woman, because in that book I held up, there was a recommendation that you take a little online test to see how you're doing gender wise. Um, Guys, I didn't do so well. (laughs) My brain, well, just, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go out myself. My brain is 58% male and 42% female, according to this very legitimate Google quiz. I went back to see how what I flunked, and it, it included things like that I like beagles more than chihuahuas. That <laughs> so it's it's very scientific. obviously Don't you're you argue with the science there, Beckett Cook. That is hilarious. Well, but the but, but the thing so in hilarious. Canada is really serious. I've already talked to Canadian pastors. It is very very serious. And so, you know, church, are you ready to suffer to preach the gospel, to proclaim the truth, to live in obedience, to love one another well, to share what you have, or do you feel like you just need to write for the Atlantic and USA Today and just, you know, air all the grievances of the church that doesn't think that, you know, vaccines are an Apostles Creed worthy statement. I mean, right. You're going to pick. You're going to pick. And this and, pa- uh, and, and, and as you guys know, this past Sunday, there was uh, in solidarity to the Canadian, the, the HR, which is a C4. C4. Uh, C4 thing. No, C4. Um, there was thousands of pastors in the United States. And this is what this is a big issue for me. There are thousands of pastors in the United States who, who this past Sunday preached on homosexual behavior as a sin. And I find that as, you know, as you both are very aware, I find that, you know, that fewer and fewer pastors are courageous enough to even mention this issue, mention homosexual behavior from the pulpit. And and I find that when you don't, when we talked, we touched on this Rosario in the last episode, but mm-hmm. when you don't mention that, when you don't call it out as sin, that is the perfect opportunity for Satan to the serpent to kind of go come into the church and sow doubt. And so my question is, why aren't pastors? I mean, I know, I know why, because it's a very touchy issue in the culture, but why aren't pastors talking about this and how, and I, you know, I, I showed you this yesterday, but how, how should pastors address this issue? Because what I find is when pastors do come around to finally addressing the issue of homosexual behavior, you know, after 10 years of silence, then there has to be a whole workshop. There has to be a preamble for like, you know, an hour about, you know, so today we're going to talk about something very difficult and it's, you know, and then there's this whole kind of apology before even speaking about it. And so how, how should pastors be talking about homosexual behavior from the pulpit and like how often and, and, I mean, because my my idea is just like, just just mention it when you um. My neighbor, uh, I, I my thing is like just mention it as if you would any other sin, but just so to keep it in the conversation, to keep it in the 
the consciousness of of the congregation that it is still a sin. Like it just didn't slip away somehow into oblivion. But what what do you guys think about that? Well, I think there's huge value in expository preaching. So, I mean, I think, you know, whenever, (laughs) whenever kind of the Bible uh, definitely brings it up and mentions it. Um, It's not a clobber passage. Uh, No passage in scripture. Well, there's a lot of clobber passage in scripture, like uh, for all has fallen short of the glory of God. Um, you know, <laughs> the heart is deceitful above all else. I can name a lot of clobber passages, but to, to name ones like clobber passage to clobber people who actually believe them um, devalue scripture. But I think just preaching through scripture as you would normally do. And when it comes up, talk about it. Yeah. But what if, but see, that, that's the problem is a lot of pastors avoid Corinthians, first Corinthians, they avoid so, yeah, Romans. So don't yeah. avoid those and, 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 yeah. uh, but do it. Uh, they need to be, so before even, you know, as you're preaching through Romans one or you, or, or just Romans or you're preaching through first Corinthians uh, before you even get to these passages, you need to be, um, uh, very clearly and lovingly um, talking about sin uh, in general and um, not sugarcoating. Cause sometimes, you know, pastors can be just really just, you know, covering stuff up and not really talking about it well. But I, I think, you know, being, being honest about sin in the church um, about other things, and then this comes up. And so it's not just like, Oh, right. we're actually talking about sin. No, we've been talking about sin. We've been talking about sexual morality. We're talking about the gossiping. We're talking about, um, you know, all these things and being serious about that lovingly with a way that's pointing toward restoration um, in Christ but then that's that's how I would say encourage pastors to to bring it up and not be afraid to do it to to do it. And if you are preaching expositorily, then you can't dodge <laughs> those things. Right. But in addition to preaching about what the Bible says, I think it really it's important that people understand what the Bible is and how to read the Bible. And so you know, again, Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, goes through six, the very, the very beginning, like the literally the first two or three paragraphs will cover six principles regarding scripture. And I think if we would just really study this, and I don't mean read it, but study it. And of course, I'm like, I'm saying study to a culture that doesn't even want to read. So I really do mean it, though. I think we need to study this. The first is the clarity of scripture, that mm-hmm. scripture is clear. And we don't have to be unclear, but intersectionality adds all kinds of new words we need to add. So you just can't say homosexuality anymore, you know, because you'll learn in, uh, you know, a recent book about how, you know, we should care and not think about cure that, that, you know, that's an offensive term. So we don't want to go there, but seriously, scripture is clear. Why can't we just be as clear as scripture? Mm-hmm. The second is the value of the use of the ordinary means by ordinary means. That's listening to the scriptures read publicly, listening to the scriptures preached as well as private reading and study. That should be mm-hmm. part of the Christians daily fare. It was when I stayed at the Yuan's house years ago, maybe, maybe it was 2013. It was before the Wheaton, the Wheaton debacle before the Wheaton protest. Um, 
Uh, and I realized the the Yuans, they had this like stereo sound in throughout the whole house. And you just heard the word of God all the time. <laughs> I love okay, that. Like, you know, it was awesome. It was unbelievable. You know, like you would get through, you know, the whole Old Testament. It was amazing. And yeah. you know, they just said, well, you know what? We surround ourselves with the word of God. Like, I love like, that. Yeah. That's awesome. The third is the necessity of the illumination of the Holy Spirit to pray that the Holy Spirit truly illuminate your mind so that you see those sins that that you've grown dull to um, mm-hmm. or that maybe your culture wants you to grow dull to. And right. Fourth is the single interpretation or sense of Bible passages and specifically the confession says the Bible does not have manifold meanings. And if the Bible doesn't have manifold meanings, our churches shouldn't have manifold practices. If you believe that wives are to obey their husbands, as the scriptures do, in fact, teach, then you believe it and then you promote it. And you probably don't think that the writers of the scriptures were just writing in a time when all the men were really nice and easy to obey. Or they were just rednecks, yeah. Are they? Re- yeah, no. So, so these are the things we were talking at my table, you know, last yesterday about the fifth commandment. Kent was teaching on the 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 duties of the fifth commandment, and you know, in the in the language of the of the Westminster divines and the Puritans, they talk about the duties of inferiors to superiors, and in the context of biblical marriage, one of the duties understood in the fifth commandment is that. The wives who are the inferiors do not try to pull rank on their husbands who are the superiors. Now, the children are not to see their parents as ranked. The children are to obey parents equally. But within the marriage, there is that. And we had, again, our friend who was over who said something like, wow, you know, if we tweeted that, that would be worse than John MacArthur saying, go home. (laughs) You know, like, you know, Rosaria Butterfield just said, wives are inferior to their superior husbands and quoted the fifth commandment and the Westminster divines. Can you imagine that? But, you know, seriously, how much do we need to rewrite? Do we need to rewrite Shakespeare now also because some of the archaic language is offensive to us? It's it's just a way of showing it it reveals something. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the use of sanctified reason Mm -hmm. to gain the full meaning and truth of a Bible passage. And so I think if we meditated on those six uses of scripture that are literally from the first section of the Westminster Confession of Faith, I think that would also help us to instead of recoiling under the word of God, to open ourselves wide to it. Mm-hmm. And instead of even listening, people talk about clobber passages. The Bible is a unified biblical revelation. You could no longer, no more remove one passage out of this than you could go and snip a thread out of a tapestry at the Museum of Art. You know, it, yeah, I always it, say it like a it. symphony. You can't pull a note out of a symphony. It would just destroy you, the whole thing. Yeah. No, right. So those, those would be the two things. Not only what the word of God says, but what it is. And to love that, to love that Jesus is the word made flesh mm-hmm. and that we have been given so much. We have this Bible. We have this Lord. He is alive. He hears us. He loves us. We have union with him. Yeah. We have no excuse. Yeah. Well, we're running out of time, but I, if we can just do a quick bonus round <laughs> and just kind of, a, I just want to ask, cause you know, obviously these. I'm just going to ask a couple questions really quickly. Um, what, cause I, you know, I, I know you guys get it. I get this all the time from people. 
and and it's you know they're really sincere and they're they're very difficult uh situations to be in but what do you do if you're a parent and your daughter wants you to go to her gay wedding um well you know you could just say i have covid <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i got the omicron um yeah. <laughs> you know I think that um, it, it's really important to look at, um, I always look to scripture always. So that's always my authority. I gotta, I gotta go there. And looking at how the Bible begins with a wedding, Genesis 2, the Bible ends with a wedding, mm-hmm. um, Revelation 19. You have the Old Testament where the metaphor of marriage that Jehovah God is the faithful husband to a harlot Israel. And then we have the New Testament where Paul talks about the mystery of marriage with Christ is, is, is pointing to Christ and the church. And then throughout Jesus' first miracle was at the wedding at Cana. Yeah. Um, so many instances uh, where this concept of marriage, one flesh, is a very, very strong, clear vision um, that, and it's something very important to God that uh, it would be unwise for Christians to try to trivialize something that, that God certainly does not. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, we, we need to be careful because I know it, it's very meaningful for people, you know, you know, not going and stuff like that. I wouldn't tell them um, kind of over a text, over a tweet. I mean, if you can do it in person, the better. But um, so I, I personally would not, be able to go to um, the ceremony. Right. Um, I know some people who, um, you know, especially if it's really close family, they might be there for the weekend uh, because a lot of times, you know, that, that's kind of when everyone's getting together, but, but I just, I wouldn't be able to go to the ceremony because I know that that's not something that, that God would bless, but I would clearly articulate and look for ways to, um, to reach out and to continue that relationship, even though they might not want me to. I know many times people, parents are like, well, my kids have cut me off. This is even not relating to a wedding or not. They've just cut me off. Um, they don't want me in their, in, my, in their life. And I said, well, we're only responsible for how we act and respond, not responsible for their actions. So right. they may have cut you off, but you don't. And you say, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'm sorry that you feel like you have to cut me off, but I, I'm not, I'm going to keep loving you, whether you accept it, then that's, you know, that's, that's not on me, but that's kind of how, how I would respond. Yeah. And Rosario, what do you, what's your, what are your thoughts? Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes. And even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It is simply a horrible thing to be divided between your Lord and your child. But the Lord Jesus Christ has already spoken. When he says hate, you know, I think, you know, Christopher will have to do that Greek. But my my husband tells me that means, you know, love less. It's a rank issue. Mm -hmm. It's a rank issue. You love your children less than you love your Lord. 
Because if you don't love your Lord the most, you love your Lord the most over your spouse, over everything. If you don't, you will destroy those people you think you love with a predatory kind of sin that's going to just infect them. But that's that's the conclusion. Before you get there, you're going to go to your elders and your pastors. Mm -hmm. You're going to pray and you're going to fast and you're going to give yourself at least six months because Prayer does many things, but one of the things it does is it strengthens you to receive the answer that God will give you. Yeah. So the the Christian life is not a multiple choice exam. There's (laughs) spiritual integrity that goes with taking up your cross. Well, I think that's a good way to end it. That, uh, that's, I, I like, I like both of those responses and I especially like the, the, you quoting Luke, what, that was Luke. What was it? Luke, 14. Luke 14, 14 verses 26 <clears throat> to I think 27. Yes. 26. Yeah. That's, that's really good. Good stuff. Um, so any last words before we, we part? It's good um, to be on with you. Appreciate you and your voice and both of you guys, Rosaria and Beckett, your books keep following after jesus yeah Yeah. thank you i thank you guys so much for being on i i feel like you know there is obviously there's so much confusion in the world so much confusion in the church about all of the this issue about the nuances of it and i am just so happy that you guys (laughs) came on together and we did this i'm so i'm just so (laughs) so thankful so thank you guys for for joining and uh yeah god bless you guys thank you for having us all right thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the beckett cook show your support makes this content possible all episodes of the beckett cook show are also available on youtube for more information about beckett and his ministry visit his website at beckettcook.com What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.